0: We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Hey, good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you all. I am Vince. I'm one of the elders here. I'm on staff as uh, the pastor of Preaching and Vision, so if we haven't met, I would love to meet you. Well, last week we started um, a short series on the church. A four-week series where we would be looking at um, the, the church together, answering some questions uh, together as we, as we did that, uh, questions like, what, are, "What is the church? Who are her leaders? who are her members?" That's where we started last week, and we, we thought it'd be a good idea to, to do this as we um, look toward our next chapter of the church together. And so that, that was our hope. And we started last week, uh, focusing on the one who is central to um, all things surrounding the church, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, He is Lord of creation. We saw this last week. He's Lord of reconciliation. He is Lord of the church. Using the imagery that, that Paul lays out for us, Jesus is the head of the church. All things flow from him. All things come through him. All things were created for him. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the He's the control center for the church. All commands to the church come from Jesus. He purchased the church with His own blood. All praise goes to Jesus. That's where we started last week. What, what better place to start than, than to think about Jesus and, and all that He's done and how He is the head of the church. And We need that. Together as a, as a church family, we need that because we are in some turbulent times. We are in a a place in our history, and it's not unlike other places in history that we've been, but we're in a place right now where probably people who you know, who are very close to you, are beginning to rethink what they believe about the church and about who Jesus is. And all of that is based on how they feel. And we want to be on record saying this. I don't know if anybody records this, but if you do, if you want to be on record, write it down right now right? Whatever. May 16th. We want to be on record saying that Jesus Christ alone is head of the church. And the, and the truth comes from God. That truth comes from God's word, no matter how we feel about it, no matter how we feel about what, what, what's going on. Jesus is the head of the church. There may be division about all sorts of things. And, and there is. You know, division about all sorts of things. And our unity does not come from, ultimately does not come from, what we believe about different things. How we feel about different things. They will, all, all those things will ultimately fade away. But Jesus is the head of the church. He's brought this strange group of people together. Uniting us together in the, in the truths that we see about Jesus in Scripture. And so this morning what we want to do is start looking at um, the body, the church. If Jesus is the head, as Paul says in Colossians and in other, other places, if Jesus is the head, then we have some questions to answer about the church. What is the church? How do we get it? How, how did it get its start? What is the purpose of the church? And, and on and on. There's a lot we could say here. We don't have a lot of time uh, to do that, but, but there's a lot we could say, and I, I'm just going to hit on those questions that's where we're heading we're gonna be jumping around all over scripture as a church what we do typically is we take a book of the bible and we work through it from beginning to end but this morning we're going to be jumping all over the place and i, I think the first thing that we need to do is define the church we let's just define it what is the church what is it? I wonder if it'd be helpful for us, and I know this is probably not something we, uh, I'm supposed to do, but I'm, a, I'm going to do it anyway. It may be helpful for us to start thinking about it this way, in the negative, what the church is not. And, and so I'll just go that direction. I said this last week, but the church is not a building. It's not the building. It's not the steeple, the, the stained glass, the offices, the stinky basement where we shove the youth. That's not, it's not what the church is. Right? It's not the, uh, the long faux folding tables that we bring out with the mismatched church chairs that some have a different church name on them. I don't know where we got them, but that's what we use. And we have the potluck dinner and there's casseroles with cereal on top. And you scoop in, you don't know what's in it, but you're going to eat it anyway. That all happens in a building and that's not the church. That, that's not the church. In fact, this space that we're in, I said this last week, is not the church until you walk in. Until we all gather in together. The building on the corner of Harmony and Timberline, as cool as it is, is just a historic building until we walk in. And then it is the church. That's why we're very careful. I know it's just wording, but that's why we're very careful to say often, when we communicate, to say the building. Where are we going to meet? The building. We don't say we're going to meet at the church. But we're meeting at the building instead of the church. This physical space is not the church. It's also not, uh, not simply a business or, or just another non-profit. That's not what the church is. The church is not just an, uh, another organization like the Girl Scouts or Humane Society, doing good and spreading cheer. That's not what the church is only. Contrary to what many believe, the church is not simply a philanthropic endeavor to help Fort, Fort Collins uh, do some good. Well, that may happen. That's not what we are simply. It's also not a 12-step program. The the church is not just something to help you get through your struggles and addictions. While that may happen, that's not the primary focus of the church. Additionally, it's not a social club. The church is not a place where you have built-in friends that you pay some dues and you get them, like a fraternity or sorority or a cycling club or Josh, a bird-watching group or a quilting society or whatever that is. You might find community. You might even find some best friends. You might find a spouse. right? You might find a good group of people to be around, but that only is not the church. So what is the church? What is it then? There's a list of other things that it's not. But what is the church? Many theologians will define the church very broadly, very broadly, I get this, will define the church something like this. The church is the community of all true believers of all time. Let me just walk through that and break it down. I get, I get it. It's very broad. The church, which is the body, Christ being its head, many different body parts making up the body. The church is the community, the collection of, the combination of, the the, the weird group of people that have gathered. The church is the community of all true believers, the collection of people who have been, Saved by the blood of Jesus. Believe Jesus to be who He says He is and find life in Him. To to quote uh, the end of John like we've seen over the last months. That is the church. This collection of people. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, in verse 23, that Christ is the head of the church. His body. And is Himself its Savior. He goes on to say in verse 25 that Christ loved the church. And He gave himself up for her that is the church and paul tells us in romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved now put that put that together but what is the church? Christ is the head of the church and in love for the church. He gave himself up for the church. And if one confesses that, that that same Jesus is Lord and that God had the power to raise him from the dead, the result is salvation. That's the result. And as salvation happens, people are added to the number. Now hear this. Maybe you all know this, but we need to hear this. Not everyone will be saved. Not everyone believes Jesus is who He says He is. Not everyone is going to bow their knee to Jesus. Christ came to save sinners, sinners who will confess their sin and confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God actually had a plan to redeem humans through the death and resurrection of His Son. So here's really what I'm saying, if I just put it simply. Not everyone is a part of the church. Walking through the doors of a building on a Sunday morning does not necessarily make you a part of the church. Giving money to a capital campaign does not necessarily make you a part of the church. You'll take your money. But it doesn't necessarily make you a part of the church. Saying, I go to that church. Doesn't necessarily make you a part of the church. The church is the community of all true believers of all time. Of all time. All right, that, that's part of the reason we wanted to do this series now. That we've been scattered across three gatherings and now scattered across two gatherings. And we're about to head to a different building. And will it be one gathering or two gatherings? We're still trying to think through that. Whatever the case, the church along with the people... In Iowa and New Jersey and France and Zimbabwe and, and everything in between, all true believers are the church. Sometimes I, I come into this building alone some early mornings, I'm here alone and I envision the, the number of people who have come into this building and, and, and experienced a meeting with God. It's creepy sometimes. The floors are creaking, and the pews are creaking, and I hear things. I'm like, "Hello? They want here?" And I hear hear things going on. But I come into this space, and I just envision all of what God has done here in the hundred plus years of this being a church in, in a couple different languages few years ago, um, after all of our gatherings were over, we were shutting off the lights and heading out for the, the afternoon. And there was a, a woman who was sitting um, right back where, where you are, Diane. And, and um, she was just sitting there. And, and I didn't see her in any of the other gatherings. So I think she had just wandered in at some point. She was just sitting there crying. I thought, OK, uh, how do I how do I do this? And so I just walked up and introduced myself and and asked if she was OK. And she said, yeah, can I just. Can I just spend a couple minutes here, um, just in in some silence? I said, absolutely, sure. Got to uh, hear from her a little bit more, and she said, if you would just let me be here for a little little bit. She's an older woman. She said, "Um, about 50 years ago, this is the place where I met Jesus. And, And I'm just passing through town again. Can I just be here? You close it up. We'll we'll let you be here all day if that's the case. I just imagine the the things that have been, the the ways in which God has worked in this space. How many weddings and how many funerals? And again, we're talking about a space, but just think about the people. How many people have been affected by, changed by, by Jesus? Uh, And and so I think through that. The church is the community of all true believers of all time. It's a, a beautiful thing to consider. And we'll walk through the different parts of of what make up the body in the weeks to come. But it's a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus flowing through many, many people. That's the church. Hear this well. It has very little to do with you alone. It has very little to do with you only and so much to do with Jesus and the salvation that he offers and the salvation that he gives to so many people. The church is the people. It's the community of of all true believers of, of all time. So the question may be, well, well, how did it get its start? Right. If that is the church, what is the history of the biblical church? What's its history? Now, there's some speculation that goes along with this. There's a lot of people that would land in different places. Let me just walk through some history. Some of you are going to like this. Some of you are going to continue to sleep. So just hang with me. Um, even though it may not have been called the church, the body, the, the history of the people of God goes all the way back to just outside the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve sinned their two sons Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to whom? God. Right, so there was some leaning toward, there was some offering toward God, to the Lord. So all the way back to the beginning of humanity, there was some form of worship of God. Adam and Eve had a third son called Seth, and Seth had a son called Enosh. And we're told in Genesis chapter 4, that to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, hear this, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And many will say, well, well, that's the, the place where the public gathering of the people of God to, to worship God began in that first family all the way back there in the time of the, the son and grandson of Adam and Eve. People began to worship God. And even though if people were worshiping God, would we say, yep, then that's the church? Is that what we would say? Many theologians would say that it wasn't then, but it wasn't, it wasn't until later that God made a covenant with the people of Israel in, in Exodus 19, that the true church was established. Exodus 19, God has gathered His people together in the wilderness after freeing them from Egyptian slavery. He gathers them together, and, and here's what He says, Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. And following. You yourselves have seen what I do to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He's speaking to all the people. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here's what's happening God is setting aside a group of people to be his own, to be his own possession. Jesus hasn't yet come as Savior. But but they know a Savior and a Messiah is coming. They're they're anticipating his arrival. This was the people of God. Could we even say this was the church? I think we can, and here's why. At least in its beginnings, because Peter, a disciple of Jesus, we we got to know him really well in the book of John, uses some of the same kind of language, in fact, identical language, when he writes to the, the churches that are scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. He says in, in chapter 2, first Peter chapter 2, and look at this similar language. He says, uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own Possession. You see the similar language there. Uh, but now after the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we know that this group is not just a Jewish nation. It's not just a nation of people, but a broad group of people, not ransomed from slavery in Egypt, but ransomed from slavery to sin, ransomed by the blood uh, by the blood of Jesus, a people for his own possession. To be called his own. And all of this was was looked forward to by the people of God. In fact, there were prophecies fulfilled that that this was coming in the New Testament church. There were prophecies fulfilled. The prophet Joel says that God will pour out his spirit on Israel. And when that happens, what many will be saved. That's fulfilled in Acts chapter two. That's brought to fulfillment in the the New Testament church, when we get to the New Testament church. In fact, I want to camp in Acts chapter 2. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and, and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts is in the, the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, the four gospel accounts, and then the book of Acts is right after that. And here's uh, the, the start of that. Here's the, the preface to that. After the resurrection of, uh, resurrection of Jesus, he ascends into heaven. He's promised that a helper, the Holy Spirit, would come. Peter, that same Peter, is now standing in front of all of the Christians. All of them. Think about that. Standing in front of all of the Christians, we're told that number is about 120 people. And he stands in front of all of them, and we're told in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, that there were all kinds of people who were there, who were present Parthians and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Egypt and Cheyenne and all over the place. Seeing if you're listening. Luke, the author, tells us in verse 11 that there were both Jews and proselytes. Or another way to say that. Both Jews and non-Jews who were there. And they were all able to understand what the other was saying in their own language by a supernatural work of God. The people looking in thought they were all drunk. So pick it up at verse 14. Look at verse 14. But Peter, chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. And it goes on and on. Look at, look at verse 21, the end of that prophecy. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. There's a prophecy that, that Joel writes. Now, um, so, so all of that is there. Really letting them have it. Peter continues in this sermon. He gives rationale for, for why all of this has happened. He says, this is God's plan. You killed Jesus. It is is all part of God's plan. Not possible for death to keep him. It's all part of God's plan. Now look at verse 37. Jump over to verse 37. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And what happens? What happens from that point? Jump down to verse 41. We see see the rest of it. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Think about that the church the community of true believers went from 120 to 3000 in one day that's how god worked to bring about the church the new testament church first gathering a few people in just outside of eden to worship then several Thousand people in the wilderness of, uh, under a covenant to worship God, then judges and kings and prophets to look forward to the pouring out of the Spirit where many would be saved, then Jesus who came as Messiah and Savior to redeem and reconcile a people to God through his blood, then Peter preaching uh, about the prophecy of Joel being fulfilled and the pouring out of the Spirit where people would repent, turn from their sin, and be saved. That's the history of the church in a couple sentences. That it starts there and moves all the way through. The people of God was one, once was one nation, a people group, redeemed, but, but not anymore after the cross and resurrection of Jesus. The people of God are those who would turn from their sin and be saved by Jesus. The church is the community of all true believers of all time. And as the church grew in number, they began to spread to different regions wasn't just there. It began to spread to different regions. God continued to save more and more people across the globe. And when that happened, the church had to localize. It had to, to localize. The people no longer all gathered together in one place. So there was church in Rome there was a church in Corinth and a church in Galatia and a church in Ephesus and a church in Philippi and the, the Colossian church and, and on and on. And, and now there's a church in the United States and a church in Colorado and a church in Fort Collins and a church in North Fort Collins and South Fort Collins and East and, and West. It had to localize the church is the community of all true believers of all time. And now we see them gathering in many different local manifestations of the church. But why, why has God called together this strange group of people? What's the purpose for the church? Have you ever thought about that? What's the purpose of the church? What's the purpose of the people of God now? I think as we think about the church now, we should see three very distinct purposes, three Three orientations of of the people of God. There's this Godward orientation, an inward orientation, an outward orientation. Here's what I mean. I want us to finish Acts chapter 2 out. Look at verse 42. These are familiar verses. We've read them many times, but I want us to see it. Look at verse 42. Just after 3,000 souls were added to the church, what did they do? What did they do? It just tells us. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Through the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. At first, I think what we see is this Godward orientation. It was Godward. Right? Their, their eyes were fixed on God. We're told they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, these teachings about Jesus. They devoted themselves to fellowship, this community-based um, focus on the worship of God. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, probably the Lord's Supper, not just a, a sandwich, but, but the Lord's Supper together, remembering Jesus, worshiping Jesus. They devoted themselves also to prayers. Prayers to whom? God. The the focus was God. And in the process of all of that, what happens? Awe comes upon all of them. They were struck with awe. They they were struck with awe of God in worship. And God was doing many amazing things through the apostles. And as we think about the purpose of the church, we've got to start right there with this Godward orientation. It's about God. God. The people gathered together to worship God. They were devoted to worshiping God. This is the primary foundation piece of the church. And isn't that absolutely appropriate as a response for the church, God's people, to to gather together to worship God? If that's not the primary focus of the church, then what is? Is it the true church? If that's not the primary focus, if the people are not primarily gathering to worship the true God of the Bible, who sent His only Son to pay the penalty of sins, my question is: Is that a church? The, the church gathers together to worship God. All focus and attention on God. There, listen. There ought not to be a question as you walk in here on a Sunday morning to gather together with us, there ought not to be a question where we stand on that. Right? If someone joined us that hasn't ever been here, they ought not to leave and say, I wonder what they're about. Right? We worship... God, because of everything that Jesus has already accomplished, I would love it to be said of us that that church worships the God of the Bible who sent His Son to reconcile those who would believe to, to right relationship with Him. The purpose of the church is first, primarily, and ultimately, Godward. It's about God. But what else do we see? Look at verse 44. It says, "In all who believed were together and had all things in common, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The people of God, the body, the church, this collection of people also had an inward orientation. The the purpose of the church, at least in part, is inward. Here's what I mean. They cared for one another and we see it. They cared for one another. They shared their stuff together. When people were in need, they, they shared so that those people weren't in need. They sold their stuff so they could get more money to help those who were in need. Can we just pause for a second right there? How did they know who was in need? It doesn't tell us here, so don't, don't go looking. Like Don't look for the footnote. How did they know who was in need of care The passage doesn't tell us, but I think we've got to assume that the need was made known. Let's go down a little bit bit further. Let's get uncomfortable. They were open with one another about their needs. They knew one another well enough to know their needs. Friends, I say this out of love. I say it from my own heart. I think we can grow here as a church. I think we can grow in our expressing our own needs and hearing the needs of others and rallying around together. I I, I realize so much of where we are currently in these weeks, in these months, in in this last year is due to this last year of isolation, due to um, the turbulence of of everything that has happened, but it's put us in a place where we are distant from one another. and, And it's starting to feel comfortable starting to feel like, you know what, I think I'm okay with this. I think I'm okay being separate from, from the church. Can I just cast some vision for us? Can I cast vision for us as a church? What if we were the kind of community that had built into its very fabric the identity of family? Do you know how your immediate family is doing because you're in regular relationship with them to know how they're doing. Here's what I mean. Our five boys stumble down the stairs on Monday morning to come to the breakfast table. Eyes kind of half open, not awake, I'm kind of grumpy, so am I. We're all sitting there. I look at that table and I know exactly how each of them are doing because we've had conversations throughout the weekend. We know what's going on in their lives. We know the ups and downs. We know the things they've struggled with. They know where my heart is. I often try to pull away and don't tell them, but they, they can see it. They, they know me well enough to know what's going on. I know them well enough to know what is going on. We have that kind of connection together. We know each other. What if woven into our very fabric as a church was this identity of family where we would let people in? When big decisions in family arise, the family discusses it together, right? Hey, can you help me with this? Can you, can you walk through this with me? When crisis occurs, the family rallies around to serve. I think about this, um, uh, another family example Um, We were camping a couple years ago in Telluride and we got in a little bit late and the campsite that we were hoping to go to was completely booked. So we wound up the, the side of a mountain, found a spot that was infested with mosquitoes and it was starting to rain and it was dark. And so our boys got out like an army and just started doing stuff. When crisis occurs, they know what to do because we know one another and we know what needs to happen and we can just do it. But often today, we treat the church as a disconnected group of people who gather for a service once a week and that's it. I don't need you. You don't need me. We don't want people speaking into our lives, especially on that issue, whatever that issue is. Big decisions about jobs or money or moving or raising children and on and on and on. And we can often fall into viewing the church as a nonprofit or a club that makes us feel good when, when and only when and if We have time to be involved. The church that we see in Acts, this early church, cared for one another, shared with one another when they were in need. And in that way, selfless. In so many ways, daily they were attending the temple together. Here's what I take from that. They wanted to be together. Now, don't look around, right? Don't look around right now. They wanted to be together, right? They just wanted to be with one another. They wanted to be with one. They didn't avoid being together. Some of us might need to hear that. They wanted to be they ate meals together. They celebrated the Lord's supper together. Their hearts were generous one another. They had this Godward orientation where they would worship God together, that brought them in, and they had this inward orientation, selflessly serving one another, caring for one another, spending vulnerable time with one another. Hear that word, well, vulnerable time with one another. I wonder if that would be said of us. I don't know how to gauge that. But I wonder if that would be said of us as people look in, do they see um, the same kind of behavior in our community? Now, listen, I've seen it among us. I really have. I've seen so many of you serve so faithfully and and I've seen so many of you just open up and express where where you are and how you're doing. And I've heard it from you and I've just watched it from, from a distance in some ways. I wonder if that kind of thing would be said of us. Jesus says in John 13, we we saw this several months ago, that we'll be known by our love for one another. He's loved us first and we'll be known by our love for one another. I wonder if those looking in would see that kind of love among us. Or would they just see a group of people who come to a building so that they can experience church and really just community is lacking? So I want you to consider that this morning. Just this question. Consider this this morning. What is your place in the church? What is that for you? Do you see this as a place where you can come on a Sunday morning so that you can feel good about your connection to, quote, the church? The question that follows that is, does anybody know you? Do you know anyone else? Does anybody know your needs, know your joys, know your struggles, able to celebrate with you and mourn with you? We don't have the ability to selflessly love others in the body, the the church, if you don't know them, if you don't know their needs, if you don't spend time with them in relationships. Just consider that this morning. What's your place in the church? Your commitment to the church. Are you actually a part of God's people who have been saved by Jesus, loving others as you've been loved? There's this inward theme as we think about the church, the purpose of the church There's also this um, uh, outward orientation. There's a Godward orientation, inward, and also an outward view. Look at verse 47. We'll finish this out. The very last verse, uh, with glad and generous hearts, what's happening? Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, how do we see an outward orientation? How do we see it as, as outward? We're told that they were praising God. Well, you'd say, well, that's, that's God word, right? They, they together, that's inward, that's God word. But, but what's the next line? And they had favor with all the people. Now, that's got to be the people who are looking in from the outside. How, how do I say that? Not just the church. Why do I say that? Because of what happens right after that. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There would not need to be salvation if those people were already saved. For those who are already a part of the body, the church, there wouldn't need to be salvation. God allowed the people to have favor with others. To have this opportunity to extend love to those who are not yet a part of the church. To speak the truth of the gospel to those who are not yet a part of the church. So think about this. We have an opportunity and also a command. We have an opportunity and a command from Jesus to speak the good news, the gospel uh, to those who do not yet know. And the Lord continues to add to the number those who are being saved. Listen, the church is not closed. It's not exclusive. It's open to anyone. Who calls on the name of Jesus, acknowledging sin, turning from it, confessing that Jesus is Lord and God is still worthy of worship. And Jesus' blood still covers sin to reconcile people to God, to be a part of the church. We need this outward orientation. We've been commanded to it. So Christian brother or sister, listen, I just want you to hear this. You get to be a part of this. Not you have to. Not, uh you probably should. No, you get to be a part of something so much bigger than you. Something that God has been lining up since just outside the garden. I would say before the garden has been lining this up. We get to be a part of it. Uh, Paul tells um, his young friend Timothy in a letter he wrote, 1 Timothy chapter 3, that he says this, the church is the, the household of God. I love that language because it brings in family kind of thoughts, right? The church is the household of God. And then he goes on to say, it's the pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, we don't use the word buttress a whole lot, but we think, about, think about pillars, right? These pillars, Lord willing, are holding up the balcony, right? Hang tight, you'll be fine. These pillars are holding up, propping up what would eventually be the ceiling of this space, right? Holding that up. A buttress is not something we see a lot here, but in Europe some. is this diagonal piece that leans against the wall to hold the building so it doesn't get all wonky. Right? So you've got, think about this imagery. You've got the pillars that go up holding up the ceiling. you've got these buttresses that, that make the, the building from not being wonky. And Paul says to his friend Timothy, "We are part of the church, the household of God, it's the, it's the pillar and buttress of what? The truth. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of something that, that is the pillar and buttress, the foundation of truth, the very, the very thing propping up and holding together the truth. The world around us right now is claiming to know truth. We live in an age currently where, where truth is how you want to define truth. You just define it, you can live it, you, whatever you want, you can do it. But listen, if you're a part of the true church, together we are the firm foundation of the truth, the the, the truth that springs from Jesus is Him crucified, buried and raised, reconciling us into relationship with God. You hear that? We get to be a part of that. There's an outward orientation that, 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 that speaks the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel that, that God would save. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. We get to be a part of it. It's not a dead or dying organism. It's not a dead organization. Now, there may be churches that are flailing and flopping and dying out. But I'm convinced that as we continue to proclaim the truth of who God is, what He's called us to be about, and the offer of salvation, that church continues to grow and is alive. In fact, Jesus promises to build it. Build it with what? Us. Jesus is able to do more than we could ever imagine in the church through us for His glory. So here's where I'm going to end. I'm going to end with some questions for you to take on. Where does your perspective on the church need to change? I've thrown a lot at you today. Where does your perspective of the church need to change? Where have you made your involvement in the church about you? Don't really like it. Kind of impedes on my weekend. Don't like the music. Don't like the preaching. Amen. Amen. I get it. Um, don't, don't like what, whatever. Don't like the people. Where have you made your involvement, your participation, in your uh, piece of the body, where have you made that about you only? I want you to consider that in these, these days to come. The Bible does not, uh, actually, uh, before I say this, I'm, I'm going to say something that I want you to research, because I didn't. I just kind of crammed it in my notes after the fact, and I haven't researched this. So p- please do that, and I'm going to, probably shouldn't do that as a preacher, but I'm going to say it anyway. The Bible, um, at least from my, my just uh, thinking about it, the Bible doesn't have instruction for us as individuals about how the church is about me. Look it up. Look for it. Maybe come back to me and tell me, yep, and so I'll do another sermon on how the church is about you. All right, I'll do that one next week. The church is about us. Together. It's us as a family. Where, where do you need rearranging in your perspective? As, as a part of the family, Where's your perspective need to change? Can we just spend some time asking God to help us there? I need help. We're gonna spend, spend just a moment praying for us, and then we're gonna respond like we do every week, um, celebrating the finished work of the cross that Jesus purchased the church with His His own blood. Think about that—the very thing that we we've just spent the last what forty minutes talking through. Jesus purchased with His own blood. You are a part of this family together because of what Jesus has already accomplished. Why would we not celebrate that week after week? We get to. We get to be a part of this together. Can I pray for us? And then we'll, we'll continue. Let's pray. God, I'll, I'll ask you the question. God, would you show us um, the answer to this, this question? Where does my perspective on the church need to change? Spirit, would you open our eyes to see that? We know that that the Spirit has been given as our help. So that's what we would ask. Spirit, would You be our help to open our eyes to see the ways in which our perspective on our part of this family needs to change? Where does it need to grow up and not just be about me, me, me? Would You show us that? Spirit, we'll just wait on You to show us where, where those things are, are already coming to our minds, would you help us to then open our hands and, and be willing to, to let go of that and say, God, take that from me. Forgive us for the ways in which we've held on to these things wrongly. God, we need your help in that. Would you show us how we can grow together to be the church, the body that, that's focused on worshiping you, that's, that's caring for one another in, in this place that we would know one another, that we'd be vulnerable enough to, to open up and invite others into our lives. you help us in that? And God, not just there, but would you also help us to be thinking about what's outside of this. There are people outside of this group of people who are dying and, and not in relationship with you yet. So would you put it on our hearts to not think about going to a different building without the idea of how many people can we speak the good name of Jesus to? Would you compel us to get outside of ourselves to speak to those who do not yet know Jesus and good life that's in Him? It's a part of being the church family. And so would you, would you help us in that? We need help. And God, if there's anyone in this room this morning who does not yet know You, would You put on their heart a deep desire to know You? To be drawn into right relationship with You? Would You do the work of salvation even now? Do that work we ask. All this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Head of the Church. His name we pray. Amen.